Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. I'm Helen Seymour and I'm here with Jake. Hiya, Jake. Hiya, Helen. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. We're looking at Captain Fantastic this week. Matt Ross's film starring Viggo Mortensen. Uh, it's a film about a family who have taken themselves away from society and are living in the woods. Uh, and then something happens, which means they have to go back and uh, visit civilization. Really enjoyed this film a lot. Is it? Fantastic. It is. Yes, it is. I'm sure that's not been done yet. So I think it's safe to say we've nailed that joke. Absolutely, 100%. You completely nailed it. Great, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's a really fantastic film. Matt Ross, uh, you may know from uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, Mike Judge's HBO show that's uh, just hit its third season. He plays the character of Gavin Belson, the CEO of tech company Hooli. And this is his uh, second feature film, um, uh, which he's written and directed, very much inspired from his own life and childhood and experiences as a parent. Very nice. Uh, So in this film, there is a brilliant bit where uh, instead of celebrating Christmas, they celebrate Noam Chomsky Day and they have cake and presents and they read things about Noam Chomsky. Uh, So we were wondering... If you had to do a day with a director, like celebrate a director's day, and you could spend that day with the director, what, who would it be and what would you do? Okay, so I'm thinking if we're spreading out over the whole day, you've got to have a really good soundtrack yeah. over that day if you yeah. want to keep the energy going. But a great soundtrack needs peaks and troughs. Like, you need, like for after lunch, you need it calm, you need that nice schlompy feel. But then when it's getting around to party time in the evening, you need someone that can get out a killer party soundtrack. So I'm thinking Richard Linklater. Everybody wants some, dazed and confused. There's your party soundtracks. But then you've got like School of Rock in there as well. The man knows music. And I think present-wise, at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, Richard could give everyone a CD or a record that he thinks they'd like. (gasps) But then we'd all just turn to him and like boyhood we could just go I thought there'd be more and then he'd just leave really sad and would that happen every year? every year (laughs) Richard Linkletter would come to my house thinking he's going to have a really great celebration of him and then he'd leave thinking that he got he's failed again again every year he fails to deliver I was thinking Danny Boyle Day right and me and Danny Boyle just the two of us would recreate his films so it would change every year we just we so we play all the characters and then on the 10th anniversary we do opening ceremony of the olympics that's fantastic and 127 hours who plays james franco who plays the boulder <laughs> we do uh, rock paper scissors to decide okay rock paper scissors <laughs> And every year I choose the rock because I think it's funny, but then I end up being the rock. Yeah, and then yeah. you're just you're just sitting on Danny Boyle's arm for yeah. at least ninety minutes. Yeah, but it's still a good day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of time to chat. It's very intimate. <laughs> it's very intimate. Get to know you. Yeah, maybe we start with that. Maybe that's what we do the first one. Okay. Present-wise, I didn't think of maybe we sacrifice a limb. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. You cut off each other's arm. Yeah. I, that would work for four years. Yep. Cutting off limbs. And then... What else is there? And then bag of cash. Yeah. You yeah. can play the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire board game. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Danny, give me a call. Yeah. And you could go running down the street like you and McGregor. And you could do it on opposite sides of the street and high five when you get to the middle. Oh, you were really good at planning dates. <laughs> me and Danny Paul. Danny, if you're hearing and you fancy a date, yeah. just give us a call. Give me a call. Um, okay, so we're going to start off with the interview that sibling of the show, George Howlett, did for us with Matt Ross. Really great interview. Yeah, yeah. Um, George gets into a lot of stuff here. Uh, you know Sam, one of the regular hosts of this show. Uh, he did a radio show with his brother for quite a few years. And so George is stepping in to take his place as... Uh, I fell off my skateboard, which sounds like a joke, but it genuinely happened. He really did. Um, we're delighted to be joined here on the Curzon podcast today by our very special guest, Mr. Matt Ross. Matt, how hello. You doing? I don't know if I deserve the Mister, but thank you. Oh, we deserve a Mister. Um, <laughs> so you're here promoting Captain Fantastic, your brand new film starring yes. Vega Mortensen. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we should start with the title. Sure. Uh, sounds like a superhero film when you first hear it. Is it a jab or a nod to the uh, saturated market? If I'm guilty of anything, I think I'm guilty of underestimating the degree to which superhero movies dominate our cinema culture entirely. Uh, but the title is, I think, the um, it, it's it's in, well, it is intentional. Uh, it, the reference to um, superheroic qualities um, are is intentional. I think. I think the the, quest, the, the um, title asks a question, yeah. which is, is he? And if if so, how? And if not, why? And you could almost imagine a question mark after the title. And I think again, the the idea of parenting being a relatively heroic endeavor um, is something that I I I, I, it's, I don't know if it's heroic, but it's certainly complex, and that. Uh, it requires people to behave in a heroic manner sometimes, yeah. and so the the title, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not. It's not a jab towards Marvel or DC. I mean, I grew up reading comic books, and I love comic books, mm-hmm. and I still go to the comic book store, and I still buy them on Wednesday. Um, but um, I'm a little personally uh, tired of, of of having that be my only choice in the cinema. Yeah. But again, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was really not a jab. It was just. Um, I thought that there was something... It, it was intentional. Yeah, intentional. okay. Well, you mentioned um, parenting there, and yeah. this film asks a lot of questions about parenting. Mm. So I'm wondering how much of your experience of being a father is into the film, and specifically leads into the lead character, Ben? Well, Ben is largely aspirational. I mean, I, I live in a town. I don't live in the middle of nowhere. I was raised in very rural areas and have lived in many times in my life in very rural areas. Very rural areas, but... Uh, it's it, in terms of parenting specifically, it's more aspirational than literal. Uh, though there are many things in the film that I do uh, in my life um, that uh, are also depicted in the film. You know, I mean, I I've done martial arts my whole life, and I I have my kids do that, and you know, um, I try and bring my kids into the natural environment as, yeah. as often as possible, and. Uh, though I grew up hunting and fishing, I, my kids don't uh, haven't yet done that. Um, but certainly, my sense of humor and my politics and my view on the world is permeates the film. Okay, um, we talked about Viggo Mortensen's Ben there, mm. who is fantastic in the film. Um, seems so perfect for the role. Mm. Did you write him? Did you write it with him in mind? No, I think it's a bit of a fool's errand to write with a particular actor in mind, only because. You have no idea who you're going to have access to, and then secondarily, you have no idea who's available. And a lot of our favorite actors, you and I consider on you know batting names back and forth, mm. and I can we can find out that they're not available for four years. So I didn't do that. Um, I had I think I had probably a vague idea of Harrison Ford when he was probably when he was in his early mid forties. You know, okay. movies around you know Witness and that yeah. that time of his life. Yeah. And there was something very. Uh, powerful about him, I always thought he was he was both very masculine but also vulnerable. Uh, he seemed to be the very definition of a man, someone who was yeah. strong and capable and also could feel. And uh, and then when it came time to cast it, Vigo was my first choice, but I hadn't had thought I uh, he hadn't been in my mind when I was writing it. Though. Okay, 
and um, in the film he's joined by his six kids pretty yeah. much in most scenes. And yes, almost all. Yes. The chemistry between them is very important mm. for the film to be mm. uh, viewed realistically. Sure. So how did you go about ma- making sure they had that sibling? Well, uh, partially it starts in the, it starts in the casting, yeah. who you choose to cast, obviously. I mean, they, that cliche of directing is 90% casting is, is true insofar as you're choosing the people with whom you're, you're going to collaborate, and that's vital. You don't know because, like, a job interview, people are always on their best behavior, and you have no idea what you're walking into. Uh, what I did to help the process was bring everyone there very early, and we did an extensive boot camp <clears throat> in Washington State. The children uh, did a wilderness skills and survival camp where they learned to build shelters, learned to build fires, uh, identify edible plants, do, learn basic tracking skills. They slept under the stars. The teenage girls butchered a sheep uh, because in the film they uh, yeah. dress a deer. And by dress, I mean cut up and chop into pieces. I don't really put a put a dress on. Um, they were all doing musical. Uh, there's two musical sequences in the film, so they were doing music every day. Uh, they were they were doing rock climbing every day. George Mackay, who's British, actually is from yeah. London. When George was cast, he was starting to do three or four hours of yoga every day because he does yoga in the film. They were all learning all these different languages, Esperanto, and um, so. That process is not so much about having them be experts in anything. They're also doing archery and fighting skills, all sorts of things. They can't hope to be experts, but what they can do is they begin to... You sort of acclimate them to the world of the film, but your real intention is to have them bond, to begin to know each other and trust each other, and so the first day of filming, it's not... It's not tentative, but they, they have a they have a shorthand with each other, and also to look at, at Vigo as a father figure and to as a mentor, and frankly, to hopefully, to fall in love with him and to trust him. That's really what it's about. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned um, George McKay there, and you mm-hmm. also got Frank Langella. It turns out he pronounces his last name Mackay. Mackay. Yeah. Oh, my first mistake. Yeah, yeah. It's not. No, it's I. I think I knew George for four months before I learned that. <laughs> okay. He's he's overly polite and won't correct you. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. English for you. Yeah. Like, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, we've also got Frank Langella, yep. Anne Dowd, uh, yes. Steve Zahn, and yep. Catherine Hahn. Yep. So it's yep. a big ensemble piece, yep. almost. Mm-hmm. So how and did you go about balancing every character, but keeping the film focused? I don't know how to answer that question. How do I keep it <laughs> balance? I mean, I think that, you know, the script is the document that you all agree on. You're all going to show up to do this thing, and each individual has their own reason for doing that. Uh, and then beyond that, you know, the the, the balancing became... The first cut of the film was three hours and 30 minutes, which is far too long. Yeah. Uh, that makes a decent miniseries, but a, but, a, but a very long film. And so there's an hour and a half of footage cut out. There are many scenes. Almost every actor lost entire scenes. Some lost most of their part. Uh, Missy Pyle, for instance, had another scene. She's a brilliant comedic yeah. and dramatic actress. And she, the the very scene she probably agreed, the reason why she did the movie was not is not in the movie, and that that you know that had to do with you know you put it all together and you start realizing well, I know this information and and though she's brilliant in the scene, it's not helping the movie be a better movie and yeah. uh, the the real answer to your question had far more to do with the kids because there's six kids in every scene and and I wanted to make sure and I was very conscientious of trying to balance their all of them carefully so that every child had moments. And not every scene, in, in every scene you don't need to see every, every kid, and they, and, and they don't have to have a moment in every scene. But the, the, the collective whole, you hope that they are each given an equal weight. And that became yeah. a, an editorial challenge. Yeah, because each kid has very specific personalities mm. throughout, shown throughout the film. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. works really well. Yeah. Um, so it's an independent film, obviously. Yes. And it's been notoriously difficult often to get these independent films made. It's true. I was wondering, in the process of financing, were there anything you had to cut back, any changes you had to make? No, I mean, I can speak very frankly about this, that, you know, the, the, the equation... Well, financing independent film, uh, the viability of it depends on the equation presented. And in this case, you know, you have the script, you have the director, and you have the lead actor. I wrote the script... And I'm not a famous director, so that's already one tick against you. The script was, I think, uh, largely, if not entirely, 
viewed very favorably. So we had choices in terms of who would finance the film. It was about it became about who gave us the most favorable either numbers or people that we just thought would be wanted to make the same movie we wanted to make. And then Vigo Vigo was on board. Uh, he had signed on as we were putting the financing together. So then he becomes part of the equation. And every actor, when you're financing films independently, their perceived worth in the global market has has a direct effect on how much money you can raise. Yeah. Well, you did get it made, and it is excellent, by the way. Thank you, thank you. Um, it's been shown all around the world in the US, France, Czech Republic, Israel. I was wondering why, why you think the film's got a universal appeal. I think probably just because it's about family, and that, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at you, there's a podcast, you're far, I'm sh- you're far too young to have children. Um, although, who, you know, that's a socioeconomic uh, judgment I'm yeah. making on you, you know, <laughs> being in London, you know, I'm assuming at your age you don't have a kid, but you could, biologically. Um, uh, I think that even though you're not a father, if you related to it, you may have related to it as a son, and maybe the George Mackay character was was meaningful to you, or 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 just you see yourself in your family and your father, and I think that that m- many of our great dramas, whether we're talking about The Godfather or um, or Henry V, <laughs> uh, deal with families, you know, yeah. and family dynamics, and it's something. Well, frankly, so does Star Wars. I mean, what is Star Wars if not a father-son story on some level? Yeah. And I think that the the specific becomes the universal because we all we all come from families. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned the the George Mackay Mackay yeah. character there, <laughs> and yeah. you mentioned in the Q and A last night that. Yeah. He was uh, mildly based on yourself. Yeah, you could elaborate on that. Sure, sure. I think that really he was based on me in so far as I had a very rural upbringing, and at some point when I was a little old, uh, younger than George, it I really yearned to leave the forest. I would live in a very isolated place, and uh, I not only could I not play with kids my own age. I wanted to be around the opposite sex as I was coming to adolescence, mm. and it was just an impossibility. And I remember feeling really trapped and crazed. And, and, and really, only in retrospect did I realize that that was such a strong current in the, in the, in the script. Yeah. And um, in the film, there is a, a new holiday, which you created. Yes. Much like Seinfeld has Festivus, oh, you right, created right. Uh, Noam Chomsky Day. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? So I celebrate Noam Chomsky Day in my own house yeah. on his birthday. And, you know, it started as sort of a, a laugh, I guess, you know. Um, it was really that it's not a laugh insofar as I think he's a great American who deserves to be celebrated as much as any, as as, as much as anyone. And um, I used it as a, you know, as, as, as a way to introduce a great thinker, a great American thinker to into my children's lives. And, um, you know, I, 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 uh, I bribe them with a piece of cake and a, and a present, but we celebrate. We it's just a it's we celebrate the man's life by reading quotes um, and and or bits. And as they get older, they're going to read Chomsky himself. And I just think he's a he's a great intellect, uh, and I think everyone should celebrate him. Everyone should. And yeah. it's only 111 days. I can tell you. Yes, it's coming. It's 111 shopping days before Noam Chomsky <laughs> Day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the film's done really well around the world it's getting great buzz from all the festivals and it's doing well in America mm. what do you think is the key attribute to its success I don't know it's hard for me to answer that because I've you know I'm so in it yeah. I think perhaps you know one of the things that that was intentional for me or what I was hoping to achieve and for the people that, that the, who, do, who do enjoy the film I think I've achieved this thing which is that the drug I'm always seeking when I go to the film, go to, go to the cinema, is I want to have a film that help, that makes me think. Not like it's homework. I don't mean like that. It's that it's, that it's a test. That this information I have to memorize. But I mean that actually forces me or helps me reflect on my own life. Is relevant to me, uh, and is an intellectual experience. And I'm engaged intellectually by the ideas and the questions. And I also have an emotional response. I either laugh or I cry, or hopefully both. And I, I want that. I want to be transported to somewhere else, you know, whether it's going to watch, you know, Alien and being in a film where I'm in space. Uh, but I want, uh, the drug I'm always seeking is, you know, something that's both uh, emotionally and intellectually enriching. And so I think perhaps for those that the, the, the film works, um, that's maybe why it's it's successful yeah. in any way. I, I think, I, I, I guess. I mean, it's hard for me to know. Um, yeah. When I, you know, sometimes it, I've done some Q and A's. Film festival is a little different, but when you have ticket buying audiences that are outside of the film festival circuit, uh, and I've done Q and A's at some places like that, I 
the people that bother to come up to me afterwards, I can, I can, it, that's palpable. I can feel that, and and that's something I can identify that's that seems to be working. So, yeah. and these days, a lot of uh, independent directors are being uh, scattered out by the big studios True. for the films later on. Yeah. Would you consider doing a large franchise film? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it absolutely depends on what it is. I mean, there was an article recently, and there's an American website uh, blog um, called IndieWire, and there was an yeah. article about, you know, what, where do so-called auteur filmmakers go? And, you know, 20 years ago, you would start off and you'd make a $5 million film or a $2 million film or a $10 million film, and then the studios would eventually say, hey, you've done that well, we like that. How would you like to make the $50 million or $30 million or $20 million version of that? Well, that does not exist anymore at all. So you have people, you know, we can name them, you know, people go from a small independent film and they're directing a Jurassic Park or they're directing a Star Wars or they're directing a Marvel film and there are franchises that invite them. There are some franchises that I personally love and would be chuffed, as you say, to be involved with. Um, but largely I think that those directors, you know, it depends on which franchise we're talking about, but a lot of them, the director's voice disappears and, and you really become a traffic cop and you're just sort of shepherding this franchise product out there. And that doesn't interest me so much. I mean, you know, maybe you get bigger toys, but I, I, would, I, I feel like at this point in my life I'd rather make films that are broken and personal mm -hmm. than that appeal to everyone and are empty because I find a lot of those franchise films to be largely empty experiences. Not, not all of them. I, mean, we, I can tell you the ones I love, and there are many that I love. Yeah. Um, but some I just feel like, okay, I've seen that movie 400 times, and that's a good version of that movie, but there's nothing that's moving to me, or it's not illuminating about the human condition in yeah. any way. Not that movies have to only be that, you know. The first Bourne films did that expertly well. The Paul yeah. Greengrass films were... I think the best examples of franchise films that are also, they're basically $200 million art films in a way. I mean, they're really complex human stories that are also kinetic and, and huge in scope, and they're great films, you know. Yeah, they are. Really good. Yeah. Um, I'll come to the last question now. Mm -hmm. And um, you're also known probably more so as an actor. Sure. And at the moment, you're, you had a big hit with Silicon Valley. Yeah. And your character, Gavin Belson, yeah. has a tendency to use animals in yes, his presentations. Yes, yes. <laughs> so were you to present this film, what animal would you use? Oh my God, what a great question. I, I need to call Mike Judge and Alec Berg, <laughs> who are the, uh, the um, originators of that concept. Um, this film, I guess it would have been what I was demonstrating. I would be demonstrating that I want a film to be um, both intellectually stimulating and emotionally captivating. What animal would do that? Hmm. Maybe the dolphin. I guess dolphin. I would have to. Would I? Would I not have to present the dolphin? The yeah. dolphin is one of the most intelligent animals other than the human being, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I would present the dolphin, and uh, and the dolphin would cry because we are polluting the oceans, as I want you to cry when you see the film, and they're very um, uh, clever animals and and um, empathetic. Uh, so yeah, maybe the dolphin. Hard to bring a dolphin into a boardroom. <laughs> it would be hard, yeah. but not for Gavin Belson, because no. he would bring a huge tank <laughs> filled with water that would be the size of this room. Yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having Thanks, George. Uh, that was a really great interview. Yeah, a uh, really fantastic interview from George and Matt on Fine Form there, uh, do talking about dolphins. Uh, so if you're wondering <laughs> what all that last bit was about, do check out Silicon Valley and his character in that, Gavin Belson, who has a tendency to bring out animals to force a metaphor about the product he's launching as the CEO of this tech company. It's a fantastic show from Mike Judge, who directed Office Space. Uh, just something to pick up there as well from that interview, talking about how he doesn't write with anyone in mind. Um, I thought that Vigo Mortensen was amazing in this, but can you think of anyone else? Yeah, um, I, he, he totally encapsulates it as well and you've got flavours of his character in the road as well perhaps without the world ending mm. but that um, stoic parenthood that just continues through adversity um, and so that kind of makes me think of Robin Williams in like Goodwill Hunting role particularly Robin Williams could grow a beard like, he could really grow a beard and I think he would if times were different and we had Robin Williams, 
I think he could definitely handle it. He could totally be Captain Fantastic. I was actually reminded of Goodwill Hunting at some points in this film as well. Not necessarily thinking of Robin Williams playing the role, but yeah, I can really, really see that. Um, I also thought Fastbender would probably do a pretty good job, especially in the very intense moments. That kind of uh, arrogance. Yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely the arrogance. Fastbender can definitely handle that uh, balancing that sympathy. And arrogance in mm. a very short space of time, and shifting between the two, and that because I think this film, you are constantly questioning the actions of the main character, and you'd need someone who's got got a face and a performance that can be quite grisly at points, but also very sympathetic. Yeah, so he's taken his family, and they live away from society, and they live in the woods, um, and this is kind of one of those ideas that lots of people say is like the ultimate uh, getting away from it all, the way to stop all your stresses and all your problems, the ideal paradise life. Mm. Um, And what this film is really good at doing is showing the problems of that life. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But not in a way that's saying it doesn't tell you which life is best. It doesn't say he shouldn't have done this, he should have done it this way, or we shouldn't do it this way, we should do it that way. It just raises an awful lot of questions, particularly uh, looking at parenthood as well, and this idea that you're just doing your best when you're a parent, and it can be really, really difficult when you think you're doing the right thing for them, and then it doesn't happen, and it doesn't work out, and you feel responsible Um, what did you kind of think about all that that goes into it? I think there's a a lot of interesting clashes between ideas throughout the film and when the the family is forced to go outside and enter the city you're worried it might turn into just this standard fish out of water comedy and there's a lot of jokes like you that you could have like oh the hippies don't understand the computers yeah and you like that could have been laid on really thick and it doesn't insult them like that because mm-hmm. they're clearly intelligent. Uh, all the t- kids are very intelligent, and so they would un- perhaps understand what these things are, but maybe not the use of them. And it could border on being quite pretentious and judgmental, and it just handles that very well. Not saying the people that love their computers and like video games are awful people and the people that live in nature and live off the world are wonderful people. Yeah, it doesn't do that at all. Um, It really, really made me think just so much about how difficult life is, but in in a way of just like everyone's just trying their best to figure it out and, and you've got to have empathy to everybody's ideas because you can't dictate. There is no rule book for it. Yeah, and I think this is um, something that when, you, when you're initially watching the film, you think, oh, you get completely swept up in this wonderful woods and the forest and the nature and all the things that you'd love to you'd dream of doing. And then as I've, since watching the film and thinking about it and sleeping on it, it's almost a dictatorship as yeah. well. That's a really good point to make. You don't... I didn't necessarily think that... Um, so Vigo plays Ben, the, the father. I wasn't always on board with him. 
he has some great moments in the film. Like if we're talking about first first act stuff, you know, he has some great moments where I go, oh, that's a good point, fair enough. But there are also moments where I don't like him at all because you're right, he's being a dictator. Yeah, I mean, there is uh, regimentation, there's forced exercise, there's communal song. Uh, and it's all done in this kind of twee round the campfire way. But on further analysis, you wonder how much choice there's actually been in there and how much it's almost a Stockholm Syndrome thing that they haven't seen anything else. So they enjoy this because it's the only way that there's been. Yeah, totally. Um, Are we going to talk a little bit? I kind of want to talk about why they move back to the... uh, why they move back to the civilization. Mm. Um, Is that all right to talk about now? I would say so. It occurs very early on in yeah. the film, the first 15 minutes. Um, so Viggo Mortensen and the families, uh, his wife, their mother uh, suffers from bipolar and um, after an incident they're forced to come out of civilization. Yeah. Uh, I thought that um, bipolar as well, using that as the reason why she's ill, was a really good it was a very good choice of kind of plot and narrative, um, especially because the film kind of analyzes what um, you know you want to be happy, but are you actually being destructive in that? And I think, um, as I understand it, sufferers from bipolar, when they are in a manic phase or when they are feeling really really happy, um, they don't think there's anything wrong. Like they won't want to go to the doctor because they don't feel that there is anything wrong with them. But this can cause a quite a lot of anguish because quite often they'll worry when they feel happy. Am I happy? Just happy, or am I happy in a destructive way? As in, am I not actually well? And that can be really, really difficult for them. So I thought that was very good, and I think people that do have experience of that mental illness or know about it will pick up that Uh, but it wasn't heavy-handed in there but I thought that was very clever and it also does a good job of in these questioning of parenting are you doing the right thing in terms of trying to care for someone who does have a serious mental illness it's not heavy-handed there's not really much dialogue around it yeah and it does it tries to open up the discussion of you cannot blame in this situation like it there are characters that suggest that it's down to Viggo Mortensen it's his fault that she's a sufferer from this and it tries to deal with the idea that you can't think like that yeah like it this is that no matter how hard it is no matter how close you are to that person it is still their problem Mm. like it's it's their cross to bear. You yeah. can help them with it. You mm-hmm. can do as much as you can. But, but that's it. It's doing as much as you can yeah. with the resources you have, like doing the best you can with what you have. Mm. And and also kind of the idea that maybe, maybe it's not the way of life. Like this is how horrible and like how unfair, you know, illness is. Maybe there wasn't anything in any universe that you could have done to have stopped being ill you know yeah. I mean that's exactly it they create this heavenly Eden paradise yeah. in the woods that could would be the ultimate thing to make someone feel happy yeah but it's not that easy you can't mm. just do something to make someone feel happy if they're suffering from mental illness exactly um, and you know that wasn't that's not kind of the biggest bit of the film this isn't a film that really looks at that but it's all there and I really respected that Mm, definitely and um, I think that's that's similar to the ideas of um, that treatment comes into the role of a parent in it as well in that you try and construct uh, these the dream like raising of your child and then it's confronting the reality of what it means to be a parent and the compromise that you have to make because I think living in this forest world is almost a way of uh, Ben the father of dealing with what's happened and what's happened to his wife and if he just continues with this the way that they built it together they don't have to change anything yeah but when a spouse or whoever leaves things are going to change and you can't ignore that and just carry on like things were you can like you can you have to make compromises you have to change and that's okay 
and you but it's I think it's important to bring the children into the conversation and actually talk to them like people which Ben as a character is fantastic for and I think is something that a lot of people should be taking out of the film the way he talks to his children just as people and in a really respectful way and there's a very good scene over a dinner table with some fam you know some family of theirs where they are talking about the mum and what's happened and there's a contrast between the parents saying uh, you know trying to water down what's happened and then Ben being very curt but to the point about what's gone on and not giving too much information unless they ask mm. and when they ask he knows they're ready to hear it yeah and that's phenomenal yeah there's a wonderful uh, moment in the truck called steve mm. which is a lovely <laughs> detail they have this big truck called steve and one of the youngest um asks what rape is yeah and then that spurs on to what sex is yeah and that spurs on to what babies are made yeah but he's asking the question and he's taking it in and he's asking follow-up questions he's ready exactly he understands exactly. Like, like there's a um, naivety to what, how much he understands, yeah. but he still wants to know. And Ben treats that desire to know with respect. He's such a respectful character, mm. and yeah. But I think what is what comes throughout the film, he he does have a tendency to get onto his high horse. Oh, and particularly in later scenes. Yeah, I've just said he's very respectful, but he certainly does stuff that is not respectful to other people. Yeah. Um, because he, he, they are both sometimes fall into the territory of demeaning the other person about how they're living their lives. And because they don't agree with that, he's just going to storm on in and do what he thinks and the same to the other family. Yeah, there's a particular moment um, where but throughout the film, Ben emphasises that actions are greater than words and that his children will be defined by their actions. And then um, to emphasise uh, his children's intelligence over his sister's children's intelligence, who are five, six years older than them, he asks the um, his sister's children what the Bill of Rights is and they said oh, it's a receipt or yeah. something to do with the government. And then he gets his eight-year-old mm -hmm. uh, to come into the room and asks her what the Bill of Rights is, and she recites it word for word. And then he asks her, oh, what it actually stands for. And then she goes into what the what the Bill of Rights actually means. Yeah. And that's all well and good, but he's just making the other children feel like idiots, and he's using words against them. And he's, he asked that question because he knew that his child knew what that meant. Mm. Like... He's being a dictator. He is controlling that entire situation. And it made me think, does it really matter who knows about... Like, okay, so your eight-year-old knows about the Bill of Rights. That doesn't make you a better parent. Mm. You can't play who's the better parent with games like this. And it's those moments that, yeah, he becomes really disrespectful and he he's not doing, he's not doing anything that's helpful or good. Mm. And I think, yeah, he is very controlling... And the process through the film is more trying to understand that things are out of your control yeah. and people are out of your control, no matter how old they are. And no matter how hard you try, you need to let people do their own thing, which is ironically what he's trying to do at the start of the film. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we're not talking about how colourful and beautiful and happy and how there's so many funny moments because we've gone straight into the the kind of the the meat of it but the, like oh wow yeah 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 it's very much an oh wow kind of film um sadly the screening i was in was in um the wrong aspect ratio and so i didn't get these lovely widescreen oh, landscapes no. which i know must have been amazing they from are. what i saw yeah and you've got this really lovely ethereal cigarossi soundtrack that burns throughout the film and two really key music scenes that i know you talked a little bit about in the interview which are amazing and uh, there's a beautiful use of light right at the end, which I don't want to talk about because it is going to spoil it, but it contrasts very well and kind of deals with um, grief very well. And it's so beautiful. Mm. Like, it's so... Oh. 
oh my goodness yeah it's a very rich film and you want to sink your teeth into every shot of it there's so many lovely little details the construction of the house in the woods you like there's so many little bits that you see oh that's how that works and that's how the tap works yeah. and that's how um they, they that's a little treehouse where he keeps his knives and there's one of the kids that is building his own shelter out of bones yeah <laughs> like all these wonderful things that you don't think because matt ross talks about there's an hour and a half cut from the film uh, you wonder what was in that and totally. but then i think the one of the most important things about building character is you need to give people little bits of character and even though you might see it as a passing shot like building the house out of little bones in a tree house it's not essential but it's leaving bits like that in that make you feel like oh these are kids yeah also towards uh, the end it's difficult to talk about without being too spoilery but there's a very good shot um, that kind of made me think about how we uh, celebrate is the wrong word because I'm talking about when someone dies <laughs> how we remember and the objects that we use to remember people and how uh, useful they are um, there are so many moments like this that I'm not going to go into because I'm just going to be saying words like I have that is some cryptic clue but it's so rich mm. in all of these little details and I, at the beginning it felt like I was in this kind of river with maybe eels in it and I wasn't quite sure where it was going to go and I didn't know who to trust and I wasn't sure if he was a good person or a bad person and then I kind of realised that oh yeah no one's good or bad because I watch Harry Potter and then and then slowly the more colourful and the more beautiful and the more I grew into this family it kind of like shrunk and by the end I was just in this like beautiful warm bath <laughs> and I, I honestly walked home like in this drunken state of happiness <laughs> <laughs> because I was just like this film like it's made me think so much but I feel I feel like there was a solution to it it wasn't one of those where there was an end and I was like oh what did that mean it, it's complete and I understand that family and I understand that it's difficult but it's okay and I think at that point maybe we'll pause and listeners can go and actually watch this brilliant film and then they can come back after they've seen the whole thing and we can talk about elements from the final act, any revelations, and details that you'd like to, uh, well, get more information on or that we can talk about. But do go out and watch Captain Fantastic now. And we'll be talking about spoilers now. She dies. She dies. Although you talked about grief, so imagine people... But who's green? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, she she kills herself. Which yeah, is, and yeah. this is that's again established in the first fifteen minutes. But we tried to, yeah. to tread over that slightly. Uh, although in the trailer they do go to the funeral. So, although you know maybe lots of listeners don't watch trailers because I know that quite a lot of people don't like to do that. So. Yeah, um, yeah, from the cinema that I work in, uh, the trailers are on all the time except they're muted. So I get a very distorted <laughs> idea of what films are about, particularly Wiener Dogs, <laughs> uh, because that definitely felt like some kind of um, like Valentine's Day, New York, yeah. New, New, New Year's Eve, Mother's Day kind of, oh, it's a oh. crazy kooky dog and look at all these wonderful people. Um, but it wasn't. That's not what it's about. <laughs> no. Um, so, yes, the wife or v Vigo's wife does um, kill herself at the start of this film uh, which then provokes a very blunt perhaps too blunt delivery to the children yeah very hard scene to watch in fact very difficult scene and interesting that you were talking about things changing because I think after he delivers the news he says nothing will change yeah and that's it and uh, that is a bad idea I think yeah just to tell people that the death of their mother doesn't mean anything. Well, that's what he accidentally does. Yeah. I didn't think he means to do no. that. He thinks he's doing the right thing by saying, okay, okay, so everything was good then when we were here, so everything will be good now if we stay here. Mm. Uh, yeah. And towards... So there's a lot of debate about her funeral and um, there's lots of people at her funeral which kind of, again, indicates the life before they moved away. Um, and how mu uh, much of an impact 
she must have made on mm. those people and had strong family bonds and yeah I think so um, going back to you talking about um, mental illness earlier she, it's brought up that the um, the bipolar disorder came up very quickly after the birth of Bo Devon the first child and then that's when they started this idea of trying to get away and they mentioned they went out to somewhere remote and then they ran a farm and then they went into this wood facility that yeah. they're in now and it's almost like he took her away from people. If there, there are these people at this funeral that clearly she had a, a lot of connection with, and yeah. her family and friends that that would have known her as a person. And then after this, um, after she gets bipolar, she becomes maybe down to her, herself and perhaps down to Ben, cut off from them. Yeah. So sh- she writes her will, which shows that she wants a very different funeral from the funeral that she ends up getting from her family and Ben's character is very insistent on following the will as she's written it and I think again this is a good thing that we in talking about mental illness because I think her family dismiss what she's written in her will because they say I think some members of her family say well she had bipolar and you Ben made that worse so we're not going to listen to what she's written in that will and I think that's a big mistake that they make because just because someone has a mental illness doesn't mean their ideas should be dismissed. And even if she was in a manic state when she wrote that will, then those were high... We'll never know if she was or not. So you can't just say, oh, she was, and I'm using air quotes, crazy when she wrote that because that's what people are saying happened, but Ben's just following what he thought his wife wanted. And I think that's a really good discussion to open up. And what happens what happens then is that they end up giving her the funeral that she wanted. And what I was trying to say earlier in my cryptic way is that they obviously go and get the coffin out of the ground and then they cover it over again so no one's going to know that her body isn't under there. And it, there's just this shot of the grave after they've essentially robbed it and it really made me think about the way that we celebrate that because everyone's still going to visit her grave, but she's not actually there. And whether that matters. Yeah, and I think actually covering the grave over is actually a very nice gesture Yeah. by Ben because ultimately when someone dies, anything that happens after it is for the living. It's yeah. not for the person. Yeah. And by recovering that grave... Ben gives uh, her mum and dad and all the other people at the funeral the opportunity to continue their grief in the way that they would exactly. like to. And then he can take it, take the body and celebrate her life in the way that her and her family would want to. Yeah, and the way that he knew her. And those moments are really beautiful and those are the moments with that gorgeous golden sunlight and there's a very good music scene yeah, a version of a kind of tribal version of Sweet, Sweet Child, Child of Mine. Mine. Really standout moment, um, and the moment when they're in the van and they've they've opened the coffin and they're all around the body and they're brushing her hair or playing with her, and it's those things that it's that oh let's not talk about that because it's children and let's not do that and then they're allowed to get into it because it's their mother and they should be and that's right for them and they're ready to do that. Mm. Um, there's also a whole thing that we can't really get into because of time because there's just so much in this film but about whether the children are then going to live with the grandparents or with carry on living with Ben and there are some really really beautiful moments with the children and Ben interacting and Ben's character goes on a huge journey if we see from the very very beginning of the film he's putting blood on his son's face from uh, a deer that they've just killed and saying uh, the boy died today and you have become a man going right up to the point where he's sitting with him and asking him he's not telling him anymore when he became a boy or a man they're actually having a conversation and Bodovan has some really, really standout scenes as well where he talks about how he knows everything in books but he doesn't know anything about life. And there's all these moments that I need to stop talking because I'm rambling, but I love this film. Please go and see it. Okay. Yeah, so I think we should maybe wrap up there. <laughs> uh, uh, there's been some uh, conflicting 
reviews for this film. Five out of five, no conflict. Five out of five from Helen. Um, and so, interestingly, Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian has given this film one star. What? Really took offence to it. Uh, actually, I wanted to bring this up just because Matt Soller-Zeitz, who is the editor-in-chief for RogerEbert.com, and a writer for lots of uh, publications who wrote the Wes Anderson collection. He's just releasing a new book called TV, The Book, which is an amazing title. Uh, he did a AMA on Reddit yesterday, and I asked him um, what he thinks about uh, the re- reviews, positive or negative, that Roger, uh, Roger Ebert, the great critic, wrote that he conflicted with now as the editor-in-chief of his website. Uh, and he said... I love Blue Velvet, which Roger had serious qualms about. But I don't tend to fixate on where I disagree with him or with other critics I admire. I learn a lot from reading other people's takes on things I like or hate. I feel that it sharpens my own arguments. Which is exactly what I meant when I said no conflict. Yes. uh, So everyone, (laughs) no conflict. This film is perfect. Uh, There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Uh, No, no, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, reading, it it sums up what the film is about as well, about empathy and coming together from two different sides. Yeah. Uh, So that's Captain Fantastic, uh, which is in cinemas now. Certainly is. I'd like to thank CSR for letting us use their wonderful studio. And, uh, yep, check out Curzon Home Cinema for many good treats. Yep, so they've just started a new uh, curation strand. Every two weeks there's a new curated collection going out there based on a uh, film that's perhaps in cinemas this week um, or based on an actor, different things like that. Uh, So there's an Isabel Hubbard collection that's just gone live based on things to come. Uh, that we reviewed last week, which is out on Ho- Curzon Home Cinema now, as are many other Isabel Hubbard films to go coincide with that release. I wish everyone a wonderful week. Goodbye. Bye. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.